Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be chatting with Jordan Peace, who's the co-founder and CEO of Fringe. This was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Got a lot of nuggets from Jordan. Amazing story for the first 18 months of a startup. Uh, I really think you're going to enjoy it. It's a two-sided marketplace as well, which is kind of the hardest thing you can do in startup land. So I just, there's a lot of good nuggets in there. A non-traditional ask in lieu of asking you to subscribe and give feedback and all that kind of stuff. uh, Instead, I'm going to say, or, or ask if you enjoy this episode after you listen to it, go online. I think Jordan's platform of choice based on the interview is LinkedIn. Find Jordan on LinkedIn and just thank him for coming on the, the podcast. That'll do two things. One, it'll make him feel like he got value out of spending this time with me and you, the listener, and, and doing it. And two, it's a great way to promote the show. So uh, it would mean a lot to me if you do that. I know it would mean a lot to Jordan. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back next week. If you happen to be looking for a way to ignite your brand, spark some sales, or maybe just fire up your team, branded merchandise might be the way to do that. You can learn more about different items that are available to put your logo on at fuelmerchandise.com. It can be simple startup swag, corporate gifts, anything you're looking for, you can find it at fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors, get 10% off your first order. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're chatting with Jordan Peace, who's the co-founder and CEO of Fringe. Jordan, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Why don't we start with a quick elevator pitch for Fringe? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Fringe is the world's first fringe benefit marketplace. So we started Fringe because of vendor fatigue and because everybody wants choice. And so our vision is to see an employee walk into their first interview and one of their very first questions is, do you guys have fringe? <laughs> nice. I like that. Give me an example of some fringe benefits. Yeah. So lots of, lots of stuff. So from student loan repayment to childcare services to streaming services like Netflix and Spotify, it's, it's all over the map in terms of mostly services that will either impact the family, spark joy, reduce stress, or give people time back in their day. And what's the, let's get tactical on the software here for a second. If I'm a employee who uses Fringe at my company, what is my user experience? Yeah, it's really, really simple. So we designed Fringe to be very much something that a consumer would be familiar with as opposed to an HR department, right? So it doesn't look like HR tech. And I'm not trying to knock HR tech outright, but I I, I am a little bit. So it's consumer tech that is in the form of benefits. And so when you log in, it's a marketplace, much much like Amazon is a marketplace. You, You get on there, you've got logos of the various services that we offer. There's a little over 100 of them in total right this minute scroll through, find the things you like, read a short description, right? Just like in any e-commerce marketplace, select those benefits that go into a cart, you check out, those get delivered to you um, either electronically or to your door if they're that type of service. Got it. And then how do you work with a company to figure out how they set up a plan? What's their experience when they start working with you? 
Yeah, really simple. I think the hardest part is just to figure out where the budget's coming from, right? And so in some cases, what we're doing for companies is we're providing a lifestyle benefit, right? So they're looking at their traditional benefits and saying, we want to add something that you don't have to be sick or disabled or dead or 65 years old to benefit from, like something you can benefit from every day. So we're going to roll out fringe and we're going to give you 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month to choose whatever you like. Whereas with other companies, they're looking at us from a rewards and recognition standpoint, where they want to fund an account based on you know, a job well done or a birthday or a milestone or you know, work anniversary, that type of thing. Either way, all we really need is a name and an email address from the person you know, that's our point of contact for each of their employees that they would like to have an account. We get those accounts set up. We kind of have a drip campaign to the employees saying, hey, Fringe is coming and here's what it is and here's how to use it. Um, and then one day it goes live and, and, and that's it. And you know, there's no other lift for HR or any of the benefits managers. And I think my last product question might be a little nuanced, but it just occurred to me. It, and then if I'm an employee and I'm getting a benefit through Fringe and I cease to be an employee, what's my experience at that point? What happens? I hate to give you a boring tax uh, answer to that, but it is considered imputed income. In other words, when an employee receives that account and receives those points, they belong to the employee in perpetuity. So okay. leave the company, the account is yours, the points are yours, and those services will continue. Okay, right on. Well, yeah. then in a, in a future world where clearly every employer has fringe, clearly, <laughs> when I when I go to my next employer, do I just bring that account with me and it just gets hooked up to their to their to their account? Yeah, assuming they have yeah, exactly. So if they have fringe as well, that's exactly how it would work. We would just take that account, drop it into the instance for that employer, um, and then you would begin to get funded by the new employer. Nice. All right. Good. Love it. Thank you. That's perfect for software overview. I think I got it in my head. Uh, let's talk a little bit about current status of the business. Can you paint a picture for maybe where you guys started as a team and, and where you are today and what that growth has looked like? Yeah. So we started in December of 2018. So we're not even 18 months old as a company. But we started with five founders, which allowed us, I think, to move pretty fast. Um, and so the first six months or so was building our MVP of the product and also getting some beta users and some feedback and iterating, as you might imagine. And then, you know, summer of 2019, near the end of the summer, we said, okay, I think we know who our personas are that we're kind of selling to. We understand the features and, you know, that people are most excited about. We've built a vendor network, which was a lot of work. We can get into that. But, but we're yeah. getting into that. Yeah, well, we're getting into that. Yeah. So, so I think we had maybe 40 vendors uh, last summer, something like that, which we felt like was enough diversity of choice that we could really get out there in earnest and, and go and sell this thing to companies of all sizes. And so right around the middle of August 2019, we really you know, got started. I think we came out of Q3 with maybe like 40K in revenue, something like that, because you know, early, early pipeline. End of Q4, um, I don't know why I'm thinking in terms of revenue. I guess that's what we talk about all the time. But um, I think we we're at maybe 200K in revenue end of Q4. And then we're sitting just shy of half a million now. And, you know, as you might imagine with any, any startup that's going well, that pace is accelerating. 
And we're, we have more and more things that we're trying to do all the time from a marketing standpoint. You know, let's figure out PR. Hey, how do we, you know, how do we, from a CSM standpoint, go from a rewards and recognition client to a full benefits, you know, client as well? I mean, there's, I, my head is spinning with the amount of things that we're focused on right now because things have gotten to that point where contracts are dropping all over the place and people are asking for things, you know? So it's an exciting time, you know? I just It's cool to be on your show and to like be able to sit back and reflect for a minute and be asked these types of questions because I'm just living in it day to day. But when you ask me to kind of go back a year and a half and say, how's it gone? Yeah, I end up feeling really thankful and excited. That is a great outlook. Hmm. So let's, I mean, I, I'd love to jump into the vendor network, but maybe before that, could we talk a little bit about target customers? So right now, I, I mean, obviously you want the world to be fringe and, and that means everybody, but yeah. uh, if you're going to spend time on a marketing campaign or a sales call right now, who is that targeted at? Walk me through your kind of perfect customer right now. Yeah. Um, it it kind of comes down to how our product is seen by the buyer, right? Like most things, right? So we shot out of the gate and thought, okay, we're going to have lifestyle benefits. And as a result of those lifestyle benefits, people might stay longer. The culture might be better at that company, et cetera, et cetera. And those things are true. But what has kind of vaulted past that is this issue of employer brand, right? How is our company seen out there in the world. And and I wrote a blog post recently where I said, hey, company, you know, CEO, whoever you want to talk to, it's not about what you say about your company. It's about what your people say about your company. That's your employer brand, right? And so what we found is that companies that are, that are hiring at, at a really fast clip and their focus is on attraction, recruiting, internal brand, those are the companies that really appreciate Fringe because it's really just... You already care about your people. This is just a great way to show it, right? And and show it in a personalized, more more curated way um, than just you know sending gift cards to everybody. So I think our perfect client is one that is really trying to really trying to grow, right? They're hiring quickly. They are probably mid market, somewhere in the zone of two hundred employees to two thousand is sort of what we target in our sales outreaches. Though we have clients that are 10 people and we have clients that are 3,000 people. So we, we are outside of that range, but you have to have a target. And then unsurprisingly, they probably fall on or just outside of the top 500 places to work, the top 50 places to work in, in Chicago or whatever city. These are the type of companies that just already care. And they already have employees that, you know, are probably fans of the company that refer to their friends to come work there, right? And, and we're, we're adding to a culture that's usually kind of healthy already um, in most cases. And I think we'd rather work with a company, if we're honest, like that than trying to go in and single-handedly resuscitate a poor culture. I, that, I, I think that's a little beyond our capabilities. All right. So that was such a good answer to who your target customer is my my next question can be off the record if you want it to be but i need to ask it okay how long have you how long have you practiced that answer that was <laughs> fantastic uh so we've had a few rounds of fundraising um and so because of that i've talked to a whole lot of vcs about our story our value prop and i've answered that exact question 
a couple hundred times. So don't give me too much credit. <laughs> All right. Well, well done. All right. So talk, talk to me about building a, a vendor network. So uh, what, what, I mean, so that does feel like a daunting task, particularly since you're trying to get household names on, on the platform, right? So yeah. t- talk to me a little bit about how you and the team approach that and, you know, maybe early challenges, early wins. Yeah. You know, when investors ask about moats, and if you're not familiar, you're listening to this, they're asking, what is the barrier to entry for a future competitor? How are you building a moat around your company? Uh, One of my moat answers is always the vendor network. And it's not because we saw, we we hacked it. I wish we could say we just hacked it. We didn't. We just hustled. (laughs) We, I mean, just good old fashioned, like rolled our sleeves up. And we called and we emailed and we Instagrammed and we asked VCs for referrals. And we, I mean, just scrapped and clawed to get in front of the partnership person at, you know, as many of these vendors that we wanted as possible. And at first it was a little bit of begging and pleading and going, Hey, we'll take a, we'll take a almost nothing discount to work with you or you know, we'll, we'll advertise for you. We'll give you a special spot on the platform. Right. Um, and then of course, as you gain traction and you have more users and you get a little bit more clout, which we're, you know, well behind some of our vendors, obviously in that category, you, you get a bit more respect and they start to see the writing on the wall that, Oh, okay. We're a niche vendor. You're offering an an aggregator that lets employees choose. So you're you're going to meet the needs of close to 100% of employees. I'm meeting the needs of maybe 4% of a company's employees, right? So you might be disintermediating me in some way, but when I sit and think about it, I can't compete with you, right? Because if you if they don't have me, they're going to have my competitor. Right. So we we learned after a while to just say, hey, we're going to have two financial planning services, as an example, on the platform. Right. One spot's filled. Would you like the other one? You know, and, and we kind of and I don't, I'm not saying we learned to play hardball, but, you know, we sort of learned over time that what we're providing is of such obvious value to the buyer that if I were a vendor potentially and I was selling something that was kind of niche, I would be nervous for, for my clients to learn about Fringe, right? Um, unless I was on the Fringe platform, right? Because in the end, they're going to get the same utilization, right? If, if 11% of their clients' employees love their service and we give dollars to, you know, to companies, 11% are going to pick that, that service anyway because they love it. Right. So they're not really losing anything, but they're also getting a lot of exposure and marketing to employees that would other, otherwise not really pay attention or know about them. So it's been a process. And I know this is a long answer, but we just hustled, Michael. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Give me a sense of that funnel. So when did you have 40 vendors on the platform? Did you say that was about six months in? Yeah, it was about six months in. You know, one of our founders and probably another one with half of his time worked full time on that. And Uh, that to get 40, they reached out to 200. They reached out like, like, what was that hit rate? uh, No, I'd, I'd probably say we, we just hit 60 to 65 really hard and got 40. Okay. You know, it, it wasn't so much about the volume. We knew we knew who we wanted. You know, 
because there's a lot of vendors out there. And what we didn't want to be is, is Switzerland, right? We didn't want to go out there and say, here, here's everything. You figure it out, right? We wanted to curate a little bit on behalf of our eventual users to say, hey, these are things that you're actually going to enjoy. We, we, you know, the, we know that their customer service is good. We, we know that you're actually going to get your product in the mail. Because when you dabble in subscription services, it, it goes really wide. Like everybody's got a subscription for something out there, right? And you got to be careful um, because what we because we knew it would reflect poorly on us, and then even worse on our client, the employer, right? If those fulfillments didn't go well. So hit me with some other criteria there that you look that you look for with a with a vendor. So customer service. Uh, you know, actually delivery, like, you know, product quality, things like that. I, that totally makes sense. But you must also be looking for like, like, are there general, I, I think you said this, there's categories that you're looking to fill. You might have one or two people in that category, things like that. I'd love your thought process as a team as you guys started to break down like, okay, this is going to be the taxonomy. This is what we're, this is here we're going to go go after because we think they're best in class here. And then maybe these are categories that we think we need, but we don't even know who might be best in class here. Like t- talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I think who your target vendor is, is as important as who's your target customer, right? It's true. It's true. And, and I'll tell you what target vendor looks like now uh, after I answer the first question. But I think originally we, we just had some categories. We knew that well, well, actually kind of rebranded wellness into well-being. We knew well-being was going to be a category. We knew that we wanted to include and involve the family because our theory was that these benefits would be stickier than even health insurance or a 401k because let's say it's a, you know, oh, it doesn't matter what gender, but you have an employee, they have a spouse and they have kids in, in an example, right? Their spouse is engaged because, you know, he or she has a massage service through their spouse's benefit. The kids are engaged. Because they've got ABC Mouse or KiwiCo or the teenager gets their PlayStation Plus subscription through Fringe, right? The whole family's getting something from, from this Fringe benefit. Now it's sticky, right? Now it's like, hey, hey, mom, dad, you can't leave your job. I'm getting, you know, hey, let's slow down, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so you're creating fans of the company and you're, you're taking that employer brand and really sending it home which is, of course, what we're all doing now because we're all at home. So family was a big one. Wellness was a big one. We knew that there was kind of inequity in benefits, especially perks in terms of if I'm working at the home office, the mothership, I might get massage, I might get catered lunches, whatever. But what about the remote employees, which is aka everyone now, right? But before now, before COVID, Remote employees were left out in the cold, right? And we used to call that the mothership syndrome. They're looking at the home office going, hey, where's my massage? Where's my catered lunch, right? And so we knew we wanted food, right? Because we knew we, we wanted to, to go at, at that angle and say, hey, why don't you send them some a Grubhub credit? Why don't you send them some Uber Eats credit, right, to make up for, the, for this inequity, right? And so those were three categories right off the bat. And, and, and there were a couple more, but just to keep it brief, we, we started to fill out that, that, those categories, right? And then that led us to more ideas and more ideas. And then we realized from a competitor standpoint, uh, which I, I figure you'd be interested in uh, based on what you do, from a competitive standpoint, we realized that there are certain vendors that our competitors will not be able to offer, 
right? So our competitors, just to give you a little context, the way that they issue the benefits is in a prepaid debit card, right? Well, what you can't do on a prepaid debit card is pay off a student loan, right? So we went out and got student loan repayment so that it could be paid by employer dollars, right? And added that to the platform, right? And we added a Teladoc service and we added this. Things that from a B2C context, you actually couldn't go out and ascertain on your own, right? Yeah. So it was a windy road. Uh, And then now, when we got up to about 80, I think, we started to really ask our clients like and our users, what do you want to see on the platform, right? So I never knew until last week that there was such a thing called Vinyl Me Please, right? Where they're going to send you vinyl records in the mail once a month. But we got requests from one client in particular that I think was like 10% of their workforce. It must be like a cultural thing within this company. They wanted this Vinyl Me Please. And we looked it up and we said, hey, meets all the parameters. It's really cool. You know, it seems like the reviews are good. Customer service checks all the boxes. And so we added them and got this huge response, right? And thank you from that client. And that's kind of how it's going now. Um, and, and even now we're dabbling into what about international vendors? What about, what about local and regional vendors that are maybe, you know, more meaningful to certain client bases? Yeah. Love it. That's fantastic. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. All right, start start painting a picture for me of competitors. When you think of competitors for Fringe, who or what comes to mind? <laughs> you want me to call them out? Uh, it's up to you. Yeah, you can. It happens. It doesn't have to happen. It's totally up to you. Yeah. So I, I think the I think the best competitors, the ones the ones that I respect the most, would boil down to Zestful. Another one's called Twick, which I don't know anyone there yet. I, I'd like to get to know some of those folks, but um, Zestful in particular. And then there was one called Cherry that just shut down and. Uh, I talked to and kind of interviewed both of their founders a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, super nice people. But the, I think the big differentiator, like I mentioned, is is the debit card system. Uh, we considered doing that early on. I think it's a good way to go. I, I have nothing against it. Just from a business model standpoint, if the only way to make revenue is through your SaaS fee and then some very small transactional piece, you, you're actually benefiting in a sense from underutilization, right? One of the better ways to make money in that model is on float. And and what we knew that we're selling into HR, who's accustomed to horrible utilization on most of the things that they start, we wanted to go the opposite direction. We wanted to be able, be able to tout really high utilization. So we didn't want to build a business model around underutilization, right? Or breakage, as it's called in, the, in certain industries. Um, and so that, that's a big differentiator for us. Um, and so that's why we actually went out and built a vendor network, right? As opposed to having kind of a brochure 
you know, that's, that's on our website. And then, you know, you can, you can link out and use your card to buy it. It works. It's easy. You can add a thousand things, you know, to the, the merchant codes on that Visa card. And so from an option standpoint, it's a fantastic way to go. But we wanted to be able to have actual discounts that we negotiated for our business model. And then ultimately, once, you know, at scale, that we could begin to pass along to the user as well. Uh, which we actually just not, I guess, maybe a month ago, maybe two, we just rolled that out. So now we're doing points back or rebates, you know, more technically speaking, for our users when they buy on our platform. What is utilization today for, for your platform? So utilization of any contract that is 60 days old or older is over 90%. Wow. And that's not folks logging in. That's literally of all the points issued, 90% gets spent. And that 10% is getting saved up for something else? Is uh, presumably, no yeah, idea. presumably it's being <laughs> saved. We don't know. Um, but it's, you know, that, that belongs to the user and they do not expire. So, you know, that's that's just something that remains to be seen. We're, we're obviously, we want to climb towards 100 and, and I think we can do better, you know, like we, we've really scratched the surface or beginning to scratch the surface on curation and sending emails about, hey, you bought this, you might also like that. And, you know, some of the old Amazon tricks, you know, we're, we're at a stage where we're, we're dabbling in that, but we think that we can impact user behavior even more. And what's the, just for context, what's the rough industry average for that number if, you're, if they're using a card? Around 30. Oh, around 30. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, what's really funny is most wellness products, they have about a uh, 30% utilization, right? As I just said. So let's say you've got, you know, some sort of wearable and then you can track, right? And, you know, and you can use those, you know, maybe there's a point system that you can buy, a, I don't know, some fitness stuff from Lululemon, whatever, right? Typical wellness platform. They're at 30% utilization. When you give users a choice over food and stuff for their kids and for their spouses and massage and student loans and all that kind of stuff, 40% actually choose wellness anyway on our platform. So more people will use a wellness platform when you allow them to choose something besides wellness than when you force them to use only wellness. <laughs> so like that that's kind of an incredible stat that I keep coming back to. I go, wow, choice is a really powerful thing. When do you get like the uh the you know future PhD students to come into your business and start looking at the data and try to like tease out what's happening with some of that stuff? I don't I don't like PhDs. They're too smart for me, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> at some point I'll have to get some young, uh much more intelligent people in to check all that stuff out. But, you know, right now, man, we're, we're just moving so fast. We're just like, just capture the data and then we'll make sense of most of it later. And then I, I pull out the occasional stats like the one I just did, but there's, there's so much more to be, to, to be studied. All right. So do you, do you have product market fit? Oh man. You know what? It's so funny. I got off a call with a, a VC the other day and I actually Google searched that term because I'm like, I wonder what people think it means, you know? And by all the definitions I read, I said, we do have product market fit. Um, you know, basically, we, we know who our buyer is. We know why they're buying our product. And it's gotten a heck of a lot easier to sell in the past couple of months. And I don't know whether to attribute that to COVID, which is kind of an awful thing, 
because I don't want to be benefiting from a pandemic, right? But from strictly a business standpoint, I think we are. You know, I think with so many more remote employees, all of a sudden it's not just the forgotten 10% that's at home and everyone else is at the mother, mothership, right? Now it's 100%. You can't ignore them anymore. Right. You can't you can't go like, oh, yeah, that small minority at home. We'll take care of them later. Now, all of a sudden, it's in your face. What are you doing to take care of your people while they're at home? Right. And it's become almost an ethical issue uh, in a very short time where it was just sort of, uh, you know, to be honest. And, you know, this is like a it's like the worst word to use as a startup founder. But I think by some we were seen as a vitamin you know, a few months ago. And like, heck, if we aren't a painkiller now, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I can totally see that. You know, so uh, interesting aside, I, I'll share this with you. So the the single best answer I've heard to that, I, I've been asking that one over the last few episodes. And the single best answer came from Matt Wyrick at Real Link, where I asked him that question. Because Matt and his team did a, this really interesting thing where they had built the product, had sales, had reasonable monthly recurring revenue. I mean, if you looked at that business, you'd be like, yeah, they're like, there's no breakout success, but they're making it right. Like, you know, looks like many startups, right? Like that, like they're growing and they're making it and it's fine. And Matt and his team reflected on where they were and, and they were just like, you know what, we've got to pivot the product. When we look at like, yes, we can sell the product. Like I can get on the phone and I can sell you and I can make you buy our product because it's good, right? It's good ish. But you're, but then I got to, I have to have a customer success person reach out to you every month to get you to keep using it and coming back and, and stuff like that. And he's like, we had no like rabid customers who were calling us and saying, I have to use your product. And he's like, so for us, that was the wake up call to pivot the product. And, and they did it there. I mean, their that pivot was fantastic and you know and they're i think they're crushing it right now but i just loved that like that insight of like well we were fine but we didn't have product market fit now we know we have product market fit because we have people who come to us we don't have to sell them and we don't have to convince you to keep using the product so you know your short form form answer to that is yeah i have 90 percent product market fit because 90 percent <laughs> of the cash gets spent right exactly with the users <laughs> we certainly do right yeah. Yeah. It's it. hard to tell, to be honest with you, if it's just a matter of exposure, right? So we were so concerned with the tech and figuring out our personas and direct sales, et cetera, that from an advertising marketing standpoint, I don't think we've spent any money until Q1 of this year on any marketing at all. And so I don't, I don't think a lot of people knew about Fringe, you know, until very, very recently. Um, so it's, it kind of remains to be seen how rabid right the the interest will be um, once there once there's actually awareness and exposure okay. those first marketing dollars where did they go well we've been told this was unwise but we did it anyway uh, right to LinkedIn for us why wait who would say that's unwise well I've heard that it's the most expensive or one of the most expensive ways to target who you want to target and so a better way to do it is to actually go kind of Facebook and Instagram and so forth and, and kind of see, you figure out your personas and then move to LinkedIn. But I, I don't know. I'm no marketing expert. But for us, we figure where, where do HR people hang out? Where do recruiters hang out? LinkedIn. You know, like it was just obvious to us. And so we've been doing so many outbound LinkedIn campaigns and all this for, for you know, almost 18 months now. 
or I shouldn't say that, about a year now. And and so that's that's where the first dollars went. Nice. Yeah. And it uh is that content promotion? I, you don't have to answer any of this. I'm just genuinely interested. Uh so we, we do a little bit of LinkedIn with, with some of our companies. Is that so is that um promoted content? Is that ads? Is that yeah, the promoted content we do more organically, you know, just the founders and even our head of sales. Like we're just always like, check out this blog and check, you know, like we, we do, we're pretty active on LinkedIn from that standpoint. This was literal ads, you know, like the one we just put out is, you know, somebody delivering groceries to somebody's door. And, you know, the scene is, you know, the woman's receiving the groceries from the guy outside the door. And it says grocery delivery right to your door. We've got a fringe for that, you know. And it's, it's right on the nose. And, and some of them are even like book a demo now. And, you know, some of them are a little bit more nurture, like check this out and, you know, we get into the nurture campaign, but, you know, we feel like if we can just get a demo, you know, the hit rate, once they've seen a demo is, is really good. And I think it's just a matter of exposure for us. And so the the advertising has ramped up significantly in the last uh, couple of months. If you were going to drop another half million dollars straight up in advertising, I'm going to invest. I'm going to write you a check for half million dollars, but you have to spend it on promoting the product. How would you spend it? This is going to be my worst answer I've given so far. Um, Which means it could be your best. (laughs) Well, if I had to spend it right all on marketing, what we're doing is working, right? So right now, I don't know. I don't know that I would shift at all, right, from what we're doing. Um, but then again, we, it's only been a couple of months. And so I really don't have enough data to pour that kind of money into advertising right this second, if I'm honest with you. I think LinkedIn is enormous. Um, I think that some of the other things I'm interested in, there are big HR blogs that have big, big followings. And I think that some of the folks that, that write that content are seen as thought leaders in the space. Um, and so, you know, they, they've got some opportunity there. I don't know, I don't know that I could spend 500,000, but there's certainly some opportunity to spend three grand here and five grand there to, to, you know, to guest write a blog or to co-write. I don't know. I know some HR influencers who would be happy to take a half million dollar check from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Josh Person will take it. I feel certain. So, yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Thank, thanks for that honesty. And I, and I actually think in, influencers make a lot of sense as well because you might even get to double dip there a little bit on LinkedIn as well when they start posting content there and stuff yeah, like that. That's the thought process. Yeah. So I want to go back. You know, One of the core things you kind of built in to the product from a, from a business model perspective is, at least it seems to me, is the ability to get a little bit of a network effect when an employee leaves a company, right? So when I leave my employer, I'm taking my account with me, which feels very different than the debit card model, right? Uh, where now I can go to my next employer and I very much could be start p- petitioning them like, hey, why aren't you guys offering Fringe? And then unlike a debit card model where that I'm sure that happens, you would have as an, um, you would have very little visibility potentially as the platform and knowing that that upsell just happened by a former user. I know you're only 18 months in, but have you seen any of that? Have you seen any kind of, you know, network effect of an, an employee leaves, you know, place one, goes to place two and, and tries to take you with them? I don't think we've actually seen that scenario. We have most certainly seen employees 
who have become aware of us or seen an ad or their friend told them about their cool benefit they get and they've gone to their employer and asked for it. And it and I don't I wish I could say the percentage of the time that leads to a demo, <laughs> but that happens routinely now. You know, where and it's one employee. They'll book a demo because one person asked. You know, which I guess I shouldn't be surprised by because Who's going to their employer and saying, hey, can we do Cigna instead of Aetna? Like, Correct. no one cares, you know? Like, or, or if they do care, they, you know, maybe maybe it's just, you know, not top of mind. But I, I think it's just so rare for an employee to come and ask about a benefit that it's almost exciting. It's like, oh, they're engaged, you know? Like, let's let's run with this. Well, um, and it, it's a, it's an, it's a benefit as an employer, right? It's a benefit that is also you know, kind of universal in it, in the way that it can be applied. Like, you know, there's tons of people who ask about gym reimbursement and it's kind of like, well, not all of our employees can use that. And it depends on where you are and it depends, you know, like, or, you know, a, a benefit that might be great if you're single, but not if you have kids and might be great if you, you know, like, it, you know, you always, as the employer, you're always trying to run this filter of like, man, I'd love to do all sorts of things, but it, you know, it's hard. One of the things about what you've built is that you you take that away, right? It's like, no, this is as an employer, you can come up with your policy for how you're going to apply this, you know, as universally as you want. And then it's up to each individual to choose the benefit that makes the most sense for them. That's right. And and even for an individual, things change over time, right? Like in a hypothetical scenario, an HR person could listen to their 100 employees, go out and get the 40 vendors that they ask for. The problem is a year later, they're going to want 40 new vendors, Right, which is why our platform is going to continue to change and evolve, and we're future-proofing their benefits, their total rewards, right, by them using Fringe because they would have to just perpetually, right, interview tech bros like me and figure out what product that they <laughs> want to add every every week. You know, it's it's just way too much work on an HR team that already carries. Uh, a heck of a lot of the weight for an organization. All right. I'm, we're getting close to time and I, I want to be sensitive to that. I want to uh, end on a, on a, hopefully a fun note. So uh, startup founder, been working at a breakneck pace over the last 18 months to grow this business. I think you just had a baby. Is that correct? <laughs> we, we did. We just had our fourth child, actually. The fourth Child, fourth oh, child, you're crazy. Fourth and final. I almost named her final. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to like reiterate the point. Uh, but yeah, we we just had our fourth child a month ago, and we're also moving in a couple of weeks. So I I've got nothing. Oh, I love on, it. You know, <laughs> I love it. So, oh man, that brings back a lot of memories for me. I have a very similar, <laughs> very similar story. So okay, so uh, only with me, it was my first child, not my fourth. So I, I was probably. I don't know if that's better or worse. Uh, Feel like it's worse, yeah, but I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, it's um, when you have a newborn, your fourth kid. It's like you know, my wife, and you know, she, she's taking care of the baby a lot of the times, you know, by necessity, just um, the anatomy of the thing, right? Um, and then I've got three others, right? <laughs> right. So, so take this question in its spirit more than in its actuality, because I'm guessing right right now you're doing nothing other than trying to be a dad and figure out how you're going to move and and keep the business going. Yeah. So I get I get that. <laughs> yeah. But 
all things being equal, if uh, if you were going to like rattle off like the thing that you either personally or professionally could be either that you're most excited about learning or getting into more, could be a hobby, could be some mm-hmm. aspect of finance at work, whatever, uh, what would that be? What's the, what's the thing that's got you excited right now that you're, you're spending more time with? Oh, okay. So hypothetically, so this is not what <laughs> hypothetically, if it, like professionally, if I could just do anything and as no, it's like not exactly the question, but I would get into uh, baseball management. I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, so a, a lot of my love right now, which is baseball, is just not non-existent. Um, so that, that that's been difficult this spring to not have that to do. Um, what I'm what I'm doing to kind of blow off steam or to just escape actually is I'm playing chess right now, like copious amounts of chess online with friends um and with strangers and i'm getting pretty good what's your what's your platform of choice uh i think it's just called chess.com it's a uh, it's an app yep yeah yeah so i'm watching chess i mean i've just gone hyper nerd here lately so but it is what it is man you need your outlets (laughs) (laughs) indeed you do (laughs) all right uh jordan this has been so much fun you've built an awesome product can't wait to see where it goes uh thank you so much for taking the time if folks want to get in touch with you or if they want to learn more about fringe what is the best way for them to do that Hmm, gosh i'm hard to get in touch with these days um yeah (laughs) i'd say i'd say you know we're a pretty small team still so if you just got on the website and clicked on the little intercom link at the bottom right chances are one of our founders is either going to talk to you or know that you're on there. Um, so, so we're not too hard to access uh, from that perspective right now. Um, and of course, our, our website is, is hellofringe.co and you can go anywhere from there. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. I, I really enjoyed it. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.